so, open up your Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, something that many of us are familiar with already, and we've been studying for the past months. And so we're going to continue in our study as if we were right here together, but you may be at home a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more comfortable, but the fact that you're gathered is still very important. Um, so open up your Bibles to the book of John in chapter 3. We're, we are on part 3 of our gospel in, in John chapter 3, and we've been dissecting verses 1 through 15. And so we're going to be focusing on this smaller portion between verses 3 through 8 and what that entails and what that means. I love what we just finished singing right now. Come, O sinner. And as a matter of fact, the only people who can come to God are sinners, people like you and me, because we've realized and recognized the need of a Savior. And this is in perfect union with what we've been studying, especially in the life of Nicodemus. Now, we've been evaluating and studying Nicodemus for the past several weeks now, and we've, we've put forward his religious background and the type of religious works that he thought were approved by God in order for his salvation. But at this juncture, after the first two verses in chapter 3, we meet and we hear the voice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, come out and speak to Nicodemus for the first time. So in verse 3 of chapter 3, follow me through verse 8 as we read God's word. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is a reply to the statements made by Nicodemus in the first two verses of chapter 3. Now, it can seem immediately that Jesus is brushing off or avoiding the, the, the assertions that he makes. But the reality, reality of it is that Jesus is confronting his spirit. Jesus knows those who come before him. We saw this in Nathaniel in chapter 2, and, and, and we saw how, how at the end of chapter 1, the disciples came to Jesus, and Jesus knew who they were. He knew if they were righteous or unrighteous. He knew that Nathaniel was a righteous man. And so when Nicodemus presents himself, Jesus cuts straight to the point. Jesus sees right through his religious wardrobe. Jesus sees right to his heart. Nicodemus can't hide 
Jesus is God, Nicodemus can't hide behind a religious tone or religious vernacular or, or a religious terminology. Nicodemus can't hide be, behind a religious spirit by giving him some sense of false praise and saying, Jesus, you are a teacher. You are of God. No, Jesus cuts straight to the point and Jesus confronts that religious spirit head on. The only way we come to Jesus is in realization of who he really is. Savior, not just a teacher, not just a prophet, not just a miracle worker, but a savior of a sinner. That's why we see this, this, these, these overtones all from chapter 1. He is the Lamb of God, comes to save us from our sin, to wipe us from our sin. So the fact that Jesus enters this conversation rather abruptly and, and in a rather kind of strong tone, we get this double amen at the beginning of verse 3. Truly, truly. That, that's the Greek word for, for amen. Or the Greek word for truly, truly is amen, amen. That's why we, at the end of every prayer, we usually say amen because what it basically means is our affirmation. And we only see this in the Gospel of John when, when he enters into this conversation by doubling up on this amen. Jesus responds and makes him know that it isn't how one shall live, but rather how one can be made alive. Up until this point, everything Nicodemus has done has been based on a religious spirit towards salvation. In other words, Nicodemus thinks that he is saving himself. He is self-righteous. And so Jesus says, truly, truly, bringing an abruptness to this conversation. You can kind of perceive Nicodemus's tone and, and his facial expressions may have dropped at this moment after coming with a big smile and maybe kind of uh, with a nice grin on his face saying, Jesus, you're a teacher. You're, you're, you are of God. And, and out of the sudden, Jesus just comes at him with this double amen, amen bringing in a weighty pronouncement a statement that holds truth, which is the equivalence in the Hebrew expression, it stands firm. Jesus is about to say, what I'm about to tell you means a lot and is of utter importance, not only for your information, but for your salvation. And so as he says this, he brings Nicodemus's defenses down and he talks straight to his heart. One of the commentaries, old 16th century commentary, says that Jesus needed to speak to him in this way because Christ saw that the mind of Nicodemus was filled with many thorns, choked by many noxious herbs, so that there was scarcely any room for spiritual doctrine. This exhortation therefore resembled a plowing to purify him, that nothing might prevent him from profiting of this doctrine. And it is true. And in the same way, God's word in scripture confronts us each and every day. The reason why we read the Bible is not only on the basis of receiving a blessing from it, but because it's God's word, and God's word always 
calls us out. God's word always puts us on check. God's word always speaks in a truly, truly type of sense. There is an always a double amen when we read God's word, and therefore God calls our minds and our hearts to attention. We must listen. See, we don't tell you to read your Bible just so you could check it off your list. We tell you to read your Bible because it's God's word speaking directly to your soul. And so at the rest of, in, of verse 3, after truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there it is. He is speaking directly in words of salvation. He is speaking on a salvation basis. He's not interested in small chat. He's not interested in that elevator chat that you have in the first 30 seconds. He's interested in the life of a sinner. Religion won't save you, Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had said earlier in verse 1 and 2, We know. We saw the signs that you did. In a sense, Nicodemus was always putting Jesus on the same playing field. Jesus was their equal. And so they said, we know this. We know that you're of God just like we are. We, we see the signs. We, we were there when you did those signs, especially in the temple. But what Jesus does with this double amen is really let them know that their human certainties were flawed. They really didn't know anything. Nicodemus didn't know anything. Jesus had to bring in his language, this strong language of being born again in order to see the kingdom of God, which was for them a certainty. But when God speaks, our certainties are demolished because they are sub-authoritative sub to the word of God. As Jewish leaders understood they 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 saw Jesus as a teacher he was sent from God and they also had a false sense of messianic kingship the religious leaders of the day like Nicodemus understood that a messiah would come and take the throne over Rome and liberate them from their oppression. These were expectations in the physical realm. So you will understand that Nicodemus comes to Jesus on that level. He's only another good teacher. He is only another uh, well-behaved Jew from Nazareth. He, he is just another dude, if we can say it that way. He did have a little bit of authority, and so Nicodemus kind of puts him on the same playing field as him. But Nicodemus realized, as, as, as did all the other Jews from the, Jew, from the first century, that the Messiah would come and establish his throne here on earth. This was their expectation. They were seeking a royal priestly army to take over Rome. When Jesus doesn't show these signs, then it comes to question, who are you? And so Jesus brings clarity to this 
issue. Later on, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to write it down, in John chapter 18, he confronts these religious leaders and he tells them in John chapter 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. You guys are waiting for a physical king. We're not in a physical realm. My kingdom is not from this physical realm. My kingdom is a spiritual realm. That's why Pilate was so confused when he asked him, are you a king? Because this is what the Jews say that you are or that you claim to be. And Jesus says, you say what I am. But he tells them, my kingdom is not of this world. In another sense, Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. One day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. This is who Jesus is. He isn't coming here in the first century, according to Nicodemus, to set up a physical throne. No, Jesus comes to usher in the kingdom so that all men and women and children can see the kingdom through Jesus Christ. There needs to be a mediator for salvation. There needs to be someone who will sacrifice themselves for their lives. In a, in a basic sense, everyone needs a Savior. And that Savior is only found in Jesus Christ. So what Jesus does, therefore, in verse 3 and all this is said in these brief sentences because Nicodemus brings with him this huge history of Jewish thought. I mean, he's part of the Sanhedrin. We studied this earlier on. He's, he's well-versed in the law of God. He has the Pentateuch memorized. He knows the law. He knows God's word in the Old Testament. But Jesus needs to clarify all this. And he does so when he specifically speaks on how. How will you see the kingdom of God? Well, he does this by putting in a precondition. He inserts a precondition, which is called a spiritual birth. The theologians like to call it regeneration. Jesus says, you must be born again. This is how you will see the kingdom. And, and, and before moving forward, the Jews all thought that they were going to see the kingdom of God. That was part of their lineage. That's part of their promise. That's part of the people being a people of God. But Jesus says the only way you will see the kingdom is if you are born again. So you can... Imagine what Nicodemus is feeling at that moment by, by standing before a guy who's claiming to be king and who, who has done some rather miraculous works. And now he's telling the leader of, one of the Jewish nation who sits on the leadership role of the nation, he's telling him, I need to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. In another sense, that word born again is the word anothen. And this also means a more literal sense of being born from above. And so we begin to understand the misunderstanding of Nicodemus in taking this smaller view of 
temporal activity of being born again from your mother's womb, when in reality Jesus is speaking of another type of birth. Jesus, by using this word, anothen, is speaking on being born from above. We'll see that in John chapter 3, verse 31. He, sa- he says that God comes from above. In John chapter 19, verse 11 and 23, it's a literal sense of above. And so what Jesus is calling Nicodemus to do is to be born from above. What does that mean? To be born of God. That's what he said in John chapter 1. You must be born of God. This is how you will actually live. Now, now come to think of it, in, in, in Nicodemus's sense, think about it in his sense. He hasn't been alive up until he's born through the Spirit. A person doesn't have life, spiritual life, up until they meet Jesus Christ and are born again or born from above. So we have this born again concept and it's kind of a misunderstood word that we've been using for for ages now and it's kind of the Christians nowadays are called born again believers and it's kind of it's it's stemming from a misunderstanding really what we really are are people that are born from above this is the same word that Paul uses in Colossians chapter 3 when he says keep your minds on things above what he's talking about is birth that comes from God, being born from the heavenly realms. Go back to John chapter 1, and you'll see that a little bit easier. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says it, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What Jesus is calling Nicodemus to is a spiritual birth. It is a rebirth. It is a regenesis. It is regeneration, which is what he is being called to do. We'll focus more on that topic later on during our services together. But this is coming straight from the text. Jesus uses a parallel verse in John chapter 3, verse 5, by giving more and further instruction on what it means to be born from above. In verse 5, Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here are two activities. In the first verse, in verse 3, Jesus says you won't see the kingdom of God. And in verse 5, he says you won't enter the kingdom of God unless you are born from above. Everything that, that the Jewish nation, including Nicodemus, what they thought they saw, the things that they believed in because of what they've been living and seeing in their lives, well, they won't be able to see the kingdom of heaven if they continue in that same physical realm. They won't be able to enter physically or spiritually into the kingdom realm if they do not or if they are not born from above. That's what Jesus is saying. Nothing, even though you walk a certain way, even though you do certain things here on earth and see certain things here on earth, you won't be able to see or enter yourself into the kingdom of God unless you are born 
from above. So this spiritual rebirth really is the combination of being born from above and being born of water and spirit combines into this concept of spiritual rebirth. Nicodemus should, and I say should emphatically, have known this as a person who studied the law and who studied the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets, including Isaiah, but especially Ezekiel, already anticipated this for the future Jewish nation and for the future of all. You could go with me to Ezekiel. So keep your finger in John and go with me to Ezekiel, chapter 36. And we could read it together so that you can see what the prophet calls out to and what he's anticipating. In chapter 36, verses 24 and on, the prophet Ezekiel says the following from God, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. So the way Jesus clarifies this to Nicodemus is by giving him a familiar passage to go to. He says in verse 5 of John chapter 3, now if you go back to John chapter 3, verse 5 speaks about being born of water and of spirit. Now, what did we just read in Ezekiel chapter 36? That he will sprinkle clean water. They will be washed. It's not only a physical sense. This isn't baptism that Jesus Christ is speaking about. Because baptism doesn't save anyone. Baptism is just a declaration. Jesus knows this. Why would Jesus be telling Nicodemus to be baptized in order to be saved? What he's speaking about is when you are born from above, you are washed by the water of regeneration. You are sprinkled. You are made clean. And in so, the Spirit inputs in the person a new heart. What Nicodemus really needed was a spiritual shower and a spiritual heart. Nicodemus was living in the physical realm, basing his religious needs on his own works and on his own law and tradition. It wasn't a rebirth. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knows the heart. Religion does not save. Good attitudes don't save. Pious attitudes don't save. Jesus speaks clearly, clarifying. And once again, in verse 5, how does he introduce the statement? Truly, truly. Saying, Nicodemus, first, be born from above. You don't get it? Be born of water and spirit. You should get that. 
because you know the law, which is what Jesus is kind of implying. Even in verse 10, he says, aren't you a teacher? We'll get to that a little bit later. Next week, possibly. But for now, what Jesus is confronting, again, is the lack of knowledge. These people in the Sanhedrin were the smartest or the most well-educated and the most well-versed in the law, but he knew nothing of what Jesus was speaking about. Because if you don't have the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom. And so that's what Jesus is, is, is bringing to attention. He needs a new spirit and a new heart by the cleansing and the washing of the water. He will cleanse us from the impurities of our souls. I will always ask this question, and I asked this several weeks back. If Jesus, through the Spirit of God, does not cleanse you, then who does the cleansing in your life? If Jesus... And the Holy Spirit does, don't wash you from your sins. Then who will? And so the bigger question is, do you realize that you are a sinner? The biggest question that we have to ask, like Nicodemus, coming to Jesus, Nicodemus came to him not thinking at all about his sinful nature. He was good. He was a good religious man. We come to Jesus sometimes with that same attitude. And so we have to ask ourselves and confront ourselves and God's word will automatically do it for us and say, well, who's going to wash you away? Who's going to wash away your sins? Who's going to make you clean? Are you going to do it with your good acts or is your girlfriend or is your boyfriend or is your wife, your husband, is your church going to do it for you? I don't think so, friends. Jesus calls us to be born from above by the washing and cleansing of the Holy Spirit. That is what it means to have a spiritual birth. That is what it means when people say, I'm a born-again Christian. Though they don't understand it completely, what it means is that God has regenerated their dying souls, their dying spirits, and has inputted a new heart. The Apostle Paul says it like this. You don't have to go there. We'll, probably, we'll put the verse on the screen for you. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, and on, Paul says this. He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Who did it? Who was the active agent in the rebirth process? It's God through Jesus Christ working as the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity doing the work of regeneration. His own mercy, washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit who is poured out to us through Jesus Christ our Savior which provides eternal life, as Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 7. You get it? It's nothing that you and I can do. It was nothing that Nicodemus could do. And so this, these truly, truly statements that, that confront him immediately put him to the test. Make him realize, is it your works or is it 
God's works. And so in verse 6, Jesus does another parallel. Here we have another parallel verse from verse 3, explained in verse 5, and further developed and contrasted in verse 6. What does verse 6 say? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Comparing and contrasting. For John, here the flesh is not only the the negative sinful nature of a person, but it's just the human nature of the person. It is what humanity brings forward. It only can bring forth a natural birth. If you're born in the flesh like every single one of us are, we're all born in this world through a natural process. This is the natural birth. Brings the, it shows us the weakness of our lives, and it also brings this concept of mortality. You and I will one day die physically. This is the natural birth. This is what flesh means. It also has those connotations of a sinful nature, and therefore, Jesus clarifies this by saying, if you only walk in the flesh, if you only live based off what the flesh can do, what your human nature can do, then you'll never experience a spiritual rebirth. You'll never see the kingdom of God. You'll never be with Christ. You'll never be with God. Nicodemus should have understood this even more. This is clear. Spirit and flesh. The Jews were accustomed to washing themselves continuously because they believed they were contaminated by this world. Jesus says you need to be born by the Spirit and only the Spirit gives spiritual life. And it's the only access to heaven. We read earlier in our scripture reading, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, where it speaks on how a person lives according to the flesh and how a person lives according to the Spirit. I want you to see that once more. If you go back to Romans chapter 8, you'll you'll see it clearly how Paul brings the same understanding together. In verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's what they're preoccupied with because that's just the natural way of doing things. Even in our modern context, those who are operating only on the flesh or in the natural realm see all of this issue with with disease and, and pandemics and uncertainty in this world. And so their natural mind is inclined to be dominated by that. I was watching CNN uh, earlier last week, and, and, and I saw that they themselves had to incorporate this spiritual healer to help ease the minds of the people. This spiritual healer known as Deepak Chopra came to CNN to preach to us a gospel of keeping your mind at ease. Well, friends, the Word of God says we will never be at ease with this world, or we can never find contentment in this world. And we can never find peace in this world unless we operate by the Spirit. And so Paul says, 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. It isn't that we're mystical creatures looking around for mystical ghosts around us. It's that we walk according to a spiritual nature. When Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, keep your mind on things above, it isn't just focusing on uh, on the house that we're going to have in heaven and the golden streets that we're going to walk through. That's not his point. His issue is getting us to walk according to our spiritual nature. Therefore, not being dominated by the flesh that will eventually lead us to death and in so doing brings us to sin. Nicodemus needs to see this in John chapter 3, and so Jesus makes it clear. Flesh and spirit, you need to be born of the spirit. In essence, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he will not see God or his kingdom until this occurs. Now this is a foreign concept to Nicodemus because he thought in his self-righteousness and in his pious ways, he was already of God. And so this explains his reaction in verse 4. Go back, let's rewind a little bit and go back to verse 4. And we see the first reaction Nicodemus has to Jesus' words. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, here's Nicodemus maybe using a little bit of sarcasm, but in a sense, when Jesus said born again, anothen, he took it on the temporal side because he wasn't understanding what Jesus was clearly saying because he was not of the Spirit. And so Nicodemus misunderstands this word anothen and, and thinks it's talking about a physical rebirth when Jesus is calling him to a spiritual rebirth. He was too much of a religious person to understand what Jesus was really speaking. He was already a Jew, a child of God in his own mind. His status was already guaranteed. But Jesus says, no, you must be born from above. Nicodemus, like many of us, thought he had it all figured out. Thought he would see the kingdom of God. Thought that he, his works were good enough. Thought that his pious ways would get him to heaven. But Nicodemus was wrong. I call this in the modern context the church kid syndrome. Church kid syndrome speaks in the same way. I grew up in church. My parents are Christian. I've been Christian my entire life. And so therefore, even up until my death, I'll be Christian and I'll end up in heaven. This is not what Jesus means. It isn't a natural birth that will get you to heaven or to be with Christ. It is a spiritual rebirth. In our modern times, this is the concept that we've been fighting against for a long time, since the beginning of time, even in Jesus's time in the first century. People are seeking heaven or seeking a better life after death and they think they can get there if they are good enough. If they're generally good people, they can, in a sense, rely on themselves, allowing for imperfections to occur, but allowing themselves and giving themselves that opportunity to reach heaven. 
Of course, this is in the general concept if people actually believe in heaven. Because there's other people that don't even believe in God. And so for them, death is just a promotion to say, I'm done with my debt. I'm done with my sickness. And I'm just going to rot in the ground forever. That's it. But those who do understand that there is an eternity. And there's two. One with God and one under God's wrath in hell. And so we have to be very cautious about that. And that's why Jesus comes to the conversation with this concept. It isn't like, hey, Nicodemus, how are you? How you been doing? Talk to, how are your kids doing? How's the family? No, it doesn't matter at this point. It's life and death. It's Nicodemus, how you've been living is wrong. You will not see the kingdom of God until you are born from above. This concept is not new. As we can see, it's a first century belief. It's a 21st century way of living. This was also introduced in the late scholastic period or the late medieval period before the Reformation. It was called a new theology, the Via Moderna in Latin. And it was brought to popularity by a theologian of the scholastic period named Thomas Aquinas. And Thomas Aquinas basically says that grace does not do away with our nature, but it completes it. In a sense, grace, God's grace, walks alongside of us to help us perfect ourselves. It's the famous Latin phrase, facere quod in se est, which basically means do what lies within you. This means that salvation is a process that takes place within us. We can perfect ourselves. In other words, humanity has within itself the capability to achieve justification before God with our works. We can explain it this way. Do your best and you will see God. Do the best you can do and you can get to heaven. Be the best version of you and you will get there. Just try your best. The obvious problem for the, the people living in the medieval period and even prior to the Reformation was, well, how do we know what our best is? And so a lot of them lived under anxiety, trying to do their best every day, living under the anxiety, not knowing whether or not they were doing their best or if their best was acceptable before God. So the obvious answer to the question, how do I know I'm doing my best? What did the scholastics say? Try harder. Get to work. Do it more. Do more good works. Do more good works. Do more. Do more. Show your works. These scholastics brought anxiety in the lives of people. Famous scholastic writer Dietrich Kold wrote a famous book that was circulating around the 15th century called Mirror of a Christian. And he sums up the anxiety that they lived under with this quote. And I quote, There are three things I know to be true that frequently make my heart heavy. The first troubles my spirit because I will have to die. The second troubles my heart more because I do not know when. The third troubles me above all 
because I don't know where I will go. Kind of sums up the anxiety that people had to live under during a time of uncertainty, especially on their salvation. All they were told to do was try harder. When the Reformation broke out, it was Martin Luther coming back to Romans chapter 3 and saying, I've been living under a lie this entire time. It is by faith alone that we are justified and made righteous before God. God is the one who does the justification for us. God is the one who does the salvation, not us. And in a sense, Nicodemus And the 16th century and 15th century scholastics believed they had the power within themselves to make themselves right with God. And friends, this isn't a scholastic notion. In a sense, this is still alive in the 21st century. We can do our best to to, to get to heaven, to be right with God. If we just do more, if we just make the best version of ourselves, read more books, help more old, older folk cross the street, give more food to the poor, do more, do, 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 help, help children and care. And those are great things and we never minimize those things. But it isn't those things that mean a new birth. It isn't by those things that we will be made new. Jesus says you must be born from above. What does this mean? John clarifies this even further in his epistles. You don't have to go there. We'll try to put the verses up for you there. In his first epistle, 1 John, John writes, 1 John chapter 1, I mean chapter 2, 29 If you know he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practiced righteousness has been born of him. They've been made righteous. That's what John is saying in John chapter uh, 2. 1 John chapter 2 verse 29. Then he further develops it in 1 John chapter 3 verse 9 and 1 John chapter 5 verse 18. In verse 9 he says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In, verse, in chapter 5, verse 18, he says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. What he's saying is that the person who is born from above is a person who isn't comfortable in their sin. In a sense, I, a person who is born from God does not continue in their sinful nature and believe they're okay. And lastly, in chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So what it means to be born of God, born from above, born from heaven, born from above, what that means is if I can believe and declare that Jesus is the Christ, then I know my faith, by faith, I am Born new. That's what it means to be born from above. It's very clear, friends. It's very clear. It's not our actions. It's not our deeds. It's God's work in our life. And most importantly, it's God's Trinitarian work in our life. 
through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, through the works of Jesus Christ, and through the planification of the Father. It's all of the Godhead working towards our salvation. Why would you want to get in the way? Nicodemus' sense, that's what Jesus is saying. Get out of the way and be born from above. And the final verse and these final minutes, friends, John chapter 8, I mean John chapter 3, back in verse 8, he says something very interesting. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This word spirit is a play on words because the word pneuma means spirit and wind. In the Old Testament, we have this ruach of God that brings life to dead bones. We were reading from Ezekiel chapter 36 and in the following chapter 37, there's a valley of dry bones and it's God's ruach in the four winds that brings life to these dead bones. And this play on words in John chapter 3, verse 8, what Jesus is saying, it is my wind, it is my spirit that brings life, and it isn't controlled by man. That's why it says we do not know where it comes from, and we do not know where it goes, but we feel it. But we experience it. And it's part of its mysterious work that it's doing a work of salvation every day in our life. See, friends, we don't control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should be controlling us. We don't demand uh, God to do certain works in our life. God does the work on his own. God does it for us. And I would much rather have God do the work than me try to do a good work. But we can feel it and experience it in a mysterious way. We don't know how this happens, friends. I don't know how that happens, but it does. And so that's why our lives have been changed. That's why when we sin, that's why when we, when we look at something we shouldn't be looking at or when we do something we shouldn't be doing, that's why it hurts us as children of God because it feels wrong because that's what the Spirit does. It doesn't allow us to continue in our sin and become comfortable with it it changes us it molds us it gives us a new heart and so the spirit of god in a mysterious way works in our lives and makes us born from above and the most important aspect of that is knowing that we are not in control friends you are not in control i am not in control everything that's going on around us at this moment no one's in control God is. Bow your heads with me. Father, as we close up this service today, we thank you for bringing us your word, for allowing us to worship together as a church and as a people. Even though we're in distinct places, even though we're in our homes, but we've gathered to worship you. And Father, we just want to declare and say in your name, we have been born again. By the work of God, we have been born again. 
The declaration that you've done over us by making us new and by giving us your spirit. We are creatures of our God. We are children of a great father. We are the heirs of the throne. We are co-heirs of the inheritance that we share in Christ Jesus, not by any works that we have done, but by the work of the cross. Father, we honor you and we praise your name. Be with us during these times because our old nature still seems and wants to fit in and do as the old nature does. But we're not just old nature. We have a new heart and a new spirit and a new outlook and a new hope. Give us the confidence to walk in the spirit during these next weeks as we confront the situations around us. We pray for all those in need. Pray for all the kids in need. Pray for every person that needs, that needs items of, of, of help, of food. Father, help us be the church to them during these times. But most importantly, Father, get your gospel to the, the people. And we as a church will work towards the gospel and getting the gospel to all those who need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.